you know, let me ask, how many of you admit that you actually made some New Year's resolutions? Um, you know, not too many of us. Some, some of us do, not that many, and some of us may not admit it. Uh, but it, it's become something that I think for many people that we either do or we talk about. Some of us may formally think through, okay, what is it? I'm going to write this list of things that I really want to do or change in this coming year. And even for those who don't do that, I think almost all of us would admit that there's some degree that we, at the turning of the year, think about what do I want to be different in this coming year. I might not write it in a list, but I've thought it through. By far, the you know, people that have looked at this say by far the most common resolution has to do with our health. So, you know, so I think number one is I'm going to exercise. I think number three is I'm going to lose weight. Number four is I'm going to um, eat better. So, I mean, that's, that's by far the most common of all the commitments. But other people make things about finances or about, you know, healing broken relationships or a number of other things. You know, but even as we think of that, we might say, well, okay, how many of us made resolutions? The harder question would be, how many of us made resolutions and have already broken them before we're, you know, a week and a half into the new year? Um, or maybe a harder question would be, how many people made a resolution last year and actually kept it the whole year? You know, now, now that's a long shot. You know, I think there aren't many of us that do that. You see, the problem with resolutions is we joke about it because we know that we often have done it and we haven't always kept that resolution that we made. So let me even give you an example. I, I ran across someone who, who wrote about his resolutions over the past five years and how they've changed. So he wrote about this. He said, you know, he said, I had some resolutions about learning something new. And so in 2018, I made a commitment to read a new book every week. In 2019, I made a commitment to read at least 10 books over the year. In 2020, I made a commitment to read five books over the year. In 2021, I made a commitment to read some articles in the newspaper. This year, I'm just hoping to finish the comic section. Um, he had some physical goals. He said, in, in 2018, I set a goal to get my weight down below 170. In 2019, I wanted to watch my calories until my weight was below 200. In 2020, I had a new diet. I wanted to get down to 220. In 2021, I made a commitment to work out a couple times a week. This year, my goal is that I'm going to drive past the gym at least once a week. Um, he had some goals about financial debt. He said, in 2019, my goal was not to borrow any money I didn't have. In 2019, I wanted to have the goal of paying off my bank loans promptly. promptly. In 2020, my goal was to get out of debt by the end of the year. In 2021, my goal was to pay off the interest by the end of the year. This year, my goal was to be out of town before they catch me. And, and we, we laugh because we understand that. In fact, I, I found this comic strip that I think says, says it well about the way that we often think of New Year's resolutions. The one asks, you know, what exactly is a New Year's resolution? And the answer is, it's a to-do list for the first week of January. And again, we relate to that. Now, even as we joke about that, it's, is it bad to make a new resolution? Is it a good thing? Uh, is, it, is it biblical? Is it consistent with the Bible? You know, when we think about it, most of the resolutions we make are about good things. They're things that if we did, that we would be healthier people overall. But even in that, we think about, okay, spiritual and physical, or um, physical and emotional, relational and financial. How about spiritual? Should we be asking this time of year a question spiritually, kind of that question, you know, what do you want to be different about your relationship with God in the coming year? 
Is that a question you ask? Is that a question we should ask? You see, I think while the Bible doesn't talk about New Year's resolutions directly, what you do see when you look in the Bible is it does talk about the idea of taking time periodically to evaluate our life and even setting goals that would help us then move forward in that spiritual growth. And, and so when you look at that, in fact, let me, let me take you to some passages where it shows you that the, the Bible lays out this idea consistently of striving in our spiritual growth in a way that is very intentional. Probably we see this most consistently in the teaching of Paul. Numerous times you hear him saying something to the kind of idea of, you know, I'm committed to evaluating my life and finding areas in my spiritual growth that I, that I need to grow in and then setting specific goals and striving to grow in those areas. Let me give you a couple passages where he really says this very idea. Not in those words, but it's that concept. One is in Philippians chapter three. He says this, not that I've already obtained this or already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He continues, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And here's his view of the Christian life. You know, I don't think I've reached the goal. It's not like, well, I'm an apostle and I've planted churches and so therefore I can sit back. He says, no, I'm always striving. I'm always looking and saying, how can I move forward? How can I grow more like Christ? And when he says, I press on toward the goal, I think that implies that he's actually thought through what the goal looks like. It, it's not that Paul went into it and he said, you know, I just have the sense that I'm hoping to grow spiritually this year, you know, in a general sense. No, I think that he actually looked at his life and was saying, what are areas that I can grow in specifically? And he had certain things laid out in his mind. You see the same idea in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Again, Paul, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, but they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. And he uses a truth that we understand from the athletic field. We understand this even now. You're going to see in a, in a month you know, Winter Olympics are coming, and we're going to hear about these athletes and, and how they have given all this to train to be able to participate in the Olympic Games and, you know, the incredible way that they have, you know, beat their body, in a sense, to, to maximize their ability. Why? Because they want to be a part of the Olympiad. They want to strive to be able to win this gold medal. And, and if they win the medal, we're going to play the national anthem, and we're going to see them on the stage, and they might get some, you know, they might even get you know, some advertising opportunity, and, and we're going to remember the name. And, but will we? Do you remember anybody that won a gold medal four years ago or eight years ago? Or, do we really remember? You see, these, as much as this can be the ultimate you know, academic uh, achievement, it's perishable. We forget. We don't remember. But Paul's saying when we think about the spiritual life, we're running a race that has a goal that is imperishable, something that lasts for eternity. And so Paul says, because I understand this, this is what it looks like in my own life. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And he says, you know, I'm not someone running aimlessly, and I don't just have this general goal of saying, well, I hope I grow spiritually. 
No, I evaluate my life and I think about specific areas that I need to focus on so that it can grow. And once I've set those goals, I, you know, I discipline my body and keep it under control. I, I, I'm intentional. My friends, if we take these ideas and if we make them personal, I think the, the example here that we see through the Apostle Paul is that God is calling us to an intentionality in our spiritual growth. This idea of sometimes self-evaluating and saying, okay, where can I grow spiritually and, and where am I weak and what can I do that would help me the most? To kind of ask the question, you know, what new spiritual discipline would make the biggest difference in your life? You know, for example, you know, how would your life be different if you just spent 15 minutes each day reading the Bible? Do you think it would maybe change your ability to struggle with temptation? How would it impact the way that you view life and crises and do you think it would maybe impact the way you made decisions? Or how would your life change if you spent 15 minutes a day in prayer? You know, do you think it would decrease the amount of time that you spend worrying? Are, are you worried about everything that's happening? Do you think that might impact you? You know, Paul talks about that we would have a peace that passes understanding. Do you think that actually praying might give you that peace? Would your decisions be wiser? Do you think that you would see God do some miracles in your life because of that prayer? What would happen if you made a commitment to pray for or to share your faith with one person each week? Do you think that you might actually have the opportunity of seeing someone come to know Christ, that you might see miracles work in the people, other people's lives? And what would happen if you said, okay, this year I'm going to trust God in my finances or I'm, I'm going um, to serve God and trust him, step out and serve him in a specific way of ministry? You know, if you can look at all these things, and in your mind, you might say, okay, well, this is the spiritual discipline that God's calling me to, and if I know if I did this, it wouldn't make a difference, and, and, and I, want, I want to be different, and, and at the spiritual realm, if God were to change me there from the inside out, that would be huge. But even in that, I'd say, but what if I make a commitment? I mean, the reason I don't make New Series resolutions in general is because I've made them before and they ne I never end up keeping them. So why would a spiritual commitment be any different than my commitment to last year to lose 15 pounds, which I didn't do? Well, let me look at that. I think there's two questions. Number one, what spiritual discipline would make the biggest difference? And number two, then how do you actually keep that? And I think the answer to both of those actually starts the same place. It starts with God's word. And, and here's why. First of all, the Bible teaches us that the Bible is God's word. And as God's word, it is the starting point for our spiritual growth. And so you look at that and you say, okay, if I want to grow spiritually, I'm going to start there. But it's not only that I start there. The amazing thing is when you look at what the Bible says about itself, it's not only, in a sense, God's word that gives us the, you know, the, you know, that is, you know, that is uh, the starting place where we grow, but it has a power in itself so that when we spend time in God's word, it actually gives us the ability to make the changes we couldn't otherwise make. You see, it's not just a book that we read that helps us learn new things about God and, you know, that helps us think differently. It's that, and it's wonderful, but it's way more than that. It's actually a power that when you look at it and say, well, I don't have the ability to keep this commitment, but when I spend time in God's Word, it actually gives me the ability to keep the commitments I couldn't do on my own otherwise. Look what the Bible says about this. Look at how the Bible describes itself in the uniqueness of its power and its impact. For example, Hebrews chapter 4. 
For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and of marrow, the discerning of the thoughts and intentions of the heart, that it's living, it's active. It's not just something that is a word that was spoken in the past, that is a dead word that is true for every other book. This is a word that is living and active. It's a word that not only God spoke, it's a word that when we read it, God speaks. And when God, we let God speak into our life, it's a living and active power, sharper than a two-inch sword, and it's a power that we literally then release into our life so that it has the ability to transform us from the inside out. And again, here's what happens. When we set goals and resolutions for ourselves, we fail because I don't have the ability to keep those goals. I don't have the ability to change myself. But when I go to God's word, what happens is it releases a power within me so that it gives me the ability to then do things that I couldn't otherwise do on my own. It releases the power that I need to be able to keep the, you know, keep the commitments that I want to be able to keep. Look what Psalm says about this, Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Now you say, okay, great, I want to be like that. I don't want to be the person who's in the counsel of the wicked or sit in the seat of scoffers. Well, how, is, how do I not do that? Well, by putting his delight in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night. It's by coming to God's word. And what happens then when I make God's word my delight, what happens when I meditate it, when I think about it? Here's the impact. He is like a tree planted by streams of waters that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. And here's the picture. We're like this tree, and we're by a stream, and no matter what happens, if there's a drought, if it's winter, whatever, there's a stream there, and that stream is constantly bringing a refreshment, food to that tree, so that no matter what the season, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what, the tree prospers. And here's what it's saying. If you understand the Bible, when we spend time in God's word, suddenly the streams are flowing through our heart so that no matter what season we face, no matter what circumstances we face, no matter what's going on in our life, we still prosper. We still are able to bear fruit. We're still able to, we're still able to grow. We're still able to experience that power of a transformed life. What other passage? 2 Timothy 3. And calls, again, calls ourselves to commit to read and study the Bible. It starts, but it's for you, continue in what you've learned and how you firmly believed, knowing that from when you learned it and how you, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Now, here's what it's saying even in that. See, there might be some people that say, well, I've studied the Bible in the past. I you know, grew up in the church. You know, I took all these classes in the past, and I think I've got it, you know, I, and here's what he's saying. No, it doesn't matter if you've got it. Continue in what you've learned. Continue to pursue it. Even if you've had it from childhood, continue to pursue it. Why? Because it's what's God's word. It's able to make you wise unto salvation. It's able to change your lives. Why? The next verse tells us. Because all scripture is breathed out by God. It's not that it was breathed out. It is breathed out. It is God breathing into us. It's God speaking. And because of that, it's profitable for teaching and for reproof and correcting and for training in righteousness. It's profitable for changing our lives. Why? So that the man, the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You, again, you want to be complete. You want to, to be someone that is mature. What do we need? We need God's word. We need God's word and his power to flow through our life. That's what makes a difference. Now, again, let me go take this and go 
Now, so often you can say, well, here's what the Bible says, and I can go outside of the Bible and I can say, well, here's where it shows itself even in, in practice. You know, there were some studies that were several studies done several, over the last couple years, and it asked the question that I kind of asked, started with, you know, what spiritual discipline could you do this year that would make the biggest difference? And they actually did an intensive study of, of self-professing uh, Christians. And they looked at, okay, now if you do this, you know, what's, you know, what differences make? And they found there's a lot of things that make a difference. And if you go to church regularly, if you go three more times a month, that makes a difference than if you go less. If you go to an evangelical church, that makes a difference. If you pray, that makes a difference. And they had numerous things that made a difference, but they found one thing that stood out amongst everything else. Everything, all these things made a difference, but they were small in comparison to one thing. There was one thing that if you did one thing is a radical difference. And that is if you spent time in God's Word. And both of these studies showed incredibly that, you know, if people, if you spent four times or more a week in God's Word, the changes were radical compared to those who spent less time, you know, four or less times a week in God's Word. The change in spiritual life and the, you know, and people that didn't, you know, their life wasn't that much different. Their thinking wasn't that much different than the rest of the world. But if you spent regular time, four times or more a week in God's Word, suddenly you saw these radical changes. Let me come back to that in a moment. But I want you to see that, that all that is is it's just kind of evidence of saying everything that God's Word says is true in practice. It's true in our lives. So let's see where it says it in Hebrews. We're going to spend a lesser time in this passage that we, uh, that we read a several minutes ago, Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, let me, if you have your Bibles open, go with me there. Hebrews 5, starting in verse 11. About this we had much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Though for this by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Now here's what he's saying. He's speaking to people who have been believers for some time. And they're people that have been believers long enough, they should be teachers but they still need people to teach them the basic truths. He continues verse 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of, of righteousness since he's a child, but solid food is the mature. He's saying you should be mature, but you're not. Why? Because you have this disease of stunted growth. Now, when you think of this, he talks about milk and babies. He's not saying that it's wrong to be a baby. It's not wrong to be a baby. Some, some, of, some of you all have babies, and babies are beautiful. It's not wrong to have babies that want milk. I mean, that's healthy. If you have a baby and they want milk, that's a great thing. You know what's a problem? If you have a 15-year-old baby. You know, if you walk in the nursery and you've got a 15-year-old that's there in the diaper that's pounding on the floor wanting his baba, then you've got a big problem. You see? Now, why? Because you look at that and you say, the principle is this. It's great to have a baby, but the thing is, is that you expect a baby to be healthy and then grow into a healthy child and then become a healthy and adult. And according to what we have here is that you have people that are 15 years old that are, should be mature and they're not. And what is the key difference? Let's go again, verse 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. He's teaching that our maturity is determined by the spiritual food we eat and digest. Our, our, you know, we are what we eat. I mean, we've heard that said, and we know that physically. But he's saying spiritually, that's even all the more true. We are what we eat. Our maturity is determined by what we're eating. 
And uh, you know, if you're, you're, you're baby in maturity, it's because, because you're eating baby food. If you've developed a diet that has solid food, you know you're becoming mature. Now, I want to tell you, I understand this personally. I, 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 one of my children, uh, when they were young, developed some really, it was you know, part of some bigger things that he faced, but he developed a problem that was uh, sensory integration disorder is what they called it. And so he felt things very differently than most people, and specifically as related to eating. And so, um, so when he started, you know, when he had, he had a brother, and his brother started to eat, you know, from milk to baby food to advanced baby food to bread to meat, this, this son, everything hurt. So if you gave him even chunky baby food, it felt like rocks. It felt like pins in his mouth. He, it, it was painful for him. And so he wouldn't eat anything. So he, you know, here we are. We're a year old. We're getting past a year. He's still on basic milk, and he won't try anything else. And when we finally realized what it is, we started therapy, and we were in therapy for years just to get, to, get him to eat more solid baby food, let alone to certain other things. And, and as a result, because he was not having a healthy diet, his growth was stunted, and, and a lot of things were stunted. But because if you're not eating, if you are what you eat. And if you're never getting beyond milk, you're not growing and maturing physically as you need to be. And it was really difficult, even to the degree that I remember, you know, it was like, um, you know, if we got him to eat candy, it was like, oh, man, great. You know, we're celebrating. Why? Because he's eating something that has a little bit of substance to it. Now, when we understand that, you say, okay, now spiritually, we are what we eat. And, and we say, okay, what's, the, what's that look like then? What's the difference between the maturing person that eats solid food and the, the immature person that's still on, on milk? Well, um, let's look what it says here. And what you see here in Hebrews is that it talks about several differences. The first one is, when you, and we know this practically, a baby that is on milk is very dependent on other people to feed it. Whereas the mature person, as part of the maturation process, develops a degree of independence or the ability to feed themselves. Again, you think about this in our experience. You have, a, you know, for those that have newborn babies, I mean, you, you know, you, you, at first it's like you're waking up in the middle of the night, they're crying. Everything is dependent on you to feed them. And, um, and that's great. That's, what, that's normal. But you expect, you know, not only, okay, I'm going to feed you something else that you can put it in your mouth. Okay, great, they can feed themselves. I've got four kids. They're all now in their 20s. And, and if we came home and all four of them are screaming when we come home and they're start, you know, pounding on the door, I'm hungry, feed me, you know, that would be a sign of a big problem. It would be a sign of a big maturity problem. It'd be a sign of, I'm not coming home, you know, just, um, no, no, the thing is, is that we taught them to eat. Not only have we taught them to eat, we tried to teach them then to fix their own meals. And you know what's really great in their 20s? They go out and they get their own job. They can buy their own meals. That's even better. You know, that's, that's awesome. I mean, there's a degree of independence. Just praise God. I, mean, I agree with you. I mean, that's wonderful. Now, what's it say here? Look, go back to Hebrews 5. To those stuck on milk only, what does he say? The problem is you need someone to teach you again. You become dull of hearing. You know, you have people that get to the point where, man, I'd never, I never be able to handle God's word on my own. I want to tell you, past, there's a couple things I'm going to share pastorally that my understanding of even my role of, of, of pastoring you, of teaching of my role of teaching God's word. You see, when I teach and preach, my goal isn't just to teach you what I've learned over the past week, but I really work hard to try to show you how I found it. Because I, I want you to see how you can find it. 
that you don't need to go to seminary to find this. You don't need to be a scholar to understand. You know, that's also practically when you look at it, if you look in your bulletin, every week there's a note page. And, and part of that is, is, you know, you can take notes and whether you receive, or if you're like me and my mind wanders, I've got to write things down or otherwise I don't keep track. And so and some of it is that. But then you go to the other side and there's some discussion questions. Now, you know, that is, again, to help and encourage you to kind of take this and make it your own. And so some people will use that throughout the course of the week, and they'll read it, and they'll kind of reflect on it, and they'll kind of, you're making it personal. Other people I know that will be couples as husband and wife will talk about them. I know other people as small groups, they'll talk about, you know, but it's really saying, I'm trying to help you to say, I don't want you just to hear what I have to say on Sunday morning. I want to help equip you so that you find more and more on your own. And I hope that I, I can do that. Um, now, this, the second one is that you go in beyond that. And, and um, well, I'll even say one of the advantages of studying through a section of the Bible, we're starting Ephesians in two weeks. I mean, I, I'd encourage you to spend time in Ephesians 1. We're going to be in it for about six weeks. Spend time reading it, studying on your own. Find things, come and challenge me. I saw this. Why did you see this? I mean, that's great. The more you study it on your own, the better that is. But let's building on that. Second one is related. And it's at the mature and the unmature and, and it's a difference between those that are unskilled with God's word and those who learn to rightly handle the word of God. Again, look in Hebrews chapter uh, 5, verse 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, what's it saying is that we learn to be able to not only handle God's word, but we, we learn some skills to do it. Again, that's one of the things as your pastor I want to be committed to do. I'm, I'm committed to what's often called expository and, and exegetical style of preaching. And what that means is expository is I'll go through, generally go through large sections of the Bible. We just finished the Ten Commandments. We're going to be in Ephesians. And we're going to go through section by section, verse by verse, expounding on what it says. And not only that, it's exegetical. It's a big word. It just means to read out of. And, and here's what it means, is that I try to be able to handle it so that it's, it's not my opinions. Here's a thought from the Bible, and here's my ideas. I want you to see every, every point that we make in the message always comes directly from the Bible. In fact, if you hear me say something and you don't see where it came from, disregard it. Because if it's from me, it, 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 there's of no value. And I'm trying to model that to say, here's where you read out of. And part of my goal is to model a, an approach to Bible so that, so that you learn to study the Bible that way on your own as well, so that you become skilled in, in handling God's Word. And I'm not trying to teach you all the things that you need to go to seminary to learn, because you don't need. You know, I'm trying to help you and, and, and to teach and some things that I've been able to spend time, but in a way that, that gets you excited. I hope you're excited about it. Why? Because look at what the Bible says even about the call for each one of us. First Timothy, uh, or 2 Timothy 2. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, as the worker who has no need to be ashamed. Why? Because we rightly handle the word of truth. All of us want to do that. Practically, let me give you one other thing we're going to be doing uh, that I hope is a help for you on this. Uh, in, in starting in three weeks, Sunday, uh, January 30th, on Sunday nights, I'm going to be teaching a class on how to study and understand the Bible. And we're going to be, you know, this is a very, very practical class. We're going to spend a lot of time in the Bible. But it's just principles. You know, if you say, I don't know how to handle it. Well, this is really principles. Some of you are around for a while. You hear me talk about rules of interpreting the Bible. That's where these all come from. We're going to lay these out. And it's very, very practical. 
and just saying, okay, how do you understand the Bible better? How do you learn that these are tools, kind of this tool chest that, you know, that helps you figure out how to handle it more on your own? So that's going to be Sunday nights. It's going to be right here. We invite you to come and join us in person. If you can't, it's going to be available streaming online as well. Um, but it's, it's probably, it's something that I've taught before about five years ago. And we just realized that I, probably it's good to teach about every five years. It's for those who haven't been able to participate. For those who have, we're going to revise it. We always do that. It's a good refresher. But I, I want to encourage you. Why? I'm committed to helping you become a worker who needs not to be ashamed, rightly handles the word of truth. And if you want to grow in your ability to understand the Bible, come out and join us on Sunday nights. We'll have more information next week about that as well. And it's not only understanding, but part of understanding is then applying See, the big difference is that you have the immature that has disconnected beliefs, and the mature person is one who's committed to discerning truth. Look again in Hebrews, verse 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. What makes the mature person mature? the practice of discerning good from evil. Basically, I take God's word and I apply it to life. That's what it is. And so that's what it is. It's what James talks about in James 1, when it says that we should be doers of the word and not hearers only. If we're hearers, I can study the word, I can know it, I can know theology, but if I just hear it and know it, what does James say? I'm deceiving myself. I know it, but I'm not releasing the power of God into my life, so it's changing me. The releasing of the power is when I take it and when I apply it. That's where it becomes food. That's when it becomes alive. Okay, now we say, okay, well, practically, what does it look like? Well, let me give you just some practical steps. Some practical steps of saying, okay, how do you do this? What's it look like? And the first one is going to sound like it's going forward or backward because you're saying, okay, well, we want to be mature and we want to have solid move, you know. And, and actually, the first step starts with milk. You see, when you go back to Hebrews 5, it's not that he's teaching that the milk of the word is in any way bad. Um, in fact, if you think about it, anyone who is mature that is eating mature food started with milk. How do you move to mature food? Well, you start with milk and you move beyond that. And, and most of us still drink some form of milk. You know, it might be cow milk, it might be almond milk, it might be, you know, but it's some form of, of milk. We still are drinking something because it still provides nutrition. Now, look what it says here. Uh, the problem is that those who have only milk, but solid food is from the mature for those whose powers of discernment are constantly trained by practice good from evil. And, and the question is, okay, I don't, I don't want to be stuck on only milk, and, and so, but I've got to start with milk. I've got to start by pursuing and adjusting the available milk. I've got to start by saying, okay, what is available? And Sunday morning in the teaching that are here, and if I'm in ABF, I'm in a Bible study, if I'm in places where other people are helping study and they're, they're leading the discussion and they're helping me to grow, and I've got to take that, I've got to, I've got to apply that. Because you've got to start with milk to move to maturity. And you can't just skip the milk and go to steak. You've got to know, you start with the milk. And you keep that as part of your diet. Look at what even it says about the same, same illustration, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2 talks about milk. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by, by it you may grow up in salvation. Indeed, if you've tasted the word is good. I never want to move away from milk. I always want to be pursuing that as part of my diet. I just don't want to stop there. Now, 
when you look at this, then where do we go beyond that? Let's go back to verse 14. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, what is it that helps us to take the milk and move towards solid food to maturity? I want you to see what it is. It's, it's the ability to take what I have and discern it and apply it so I can distinguish good and evil. See, maturity comes from the practice of applying God's word. Now, this is really important because sometimes we may think of that and say, well, I wish I was mature. I wish I could go to seminary. I wish I could go to Bible college. I wish I knew what you, know, you learned. I, I wish I could learn Greek and then, then I could be mature. Now, my friends, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not ever taught anywhere in the Bible. Now, is there value in some of the things that if you had a chance to study? Yes. But the fact is, when you look at maturity, when you look at what he's describing here, it's not about intellectual. It's not about book study. The mature person isn't the one who reads the most books or who learns to read you know, Bible and Greek. The, the mature person is the one who takes what they have and applies it to life. So what does Hebrews 5 teach us? How do you become mature in your faith? How do you grow maturity in, 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 in there? What does it say? You take it and you practice. You pra what does it say? Uh, you have powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. Powers of discernment where I take God's word and I practice applying it to life. So in practical terms, I study God's word and then I actually apply it so that when I think about what entertainment do I watch? Is God honored by this? Well, what does God's word say about that? You know, how about my workplace and my language or, or my, my integrity and the values that I use in my workplace? Well, God's word speaks about that. I should apply it and practice helping me understand what's right and wrong. As James talks about, I should use it as a mirror to help me understand something about my own life. And let it speak into my life. That I apply it in every aspect. Again, solid food is for people who make the practice of not only studying God's word, but applying it. It doesn't mean, you know, if you go to school and you take the right courses, then you can have, you know, then you can be doctrinally solid. No, I know some really intelligent people who have studied the Bible and know it really well who are really ignorant and really spiritually mature because they don't know how to apply it this way. And meanwhile, I know other people that they have no book training and they're incredibly wise because they know what to do with it. So are you applying God's word? And second of all, to apply it, I've got to read it. And so that's where I want to challenge you to develop some kind of plan for personal reading and Bible study. Spend some kind of plan. Now here, some of you might say, well, I try to read the Bible every day. Okay, well, do you read the Bible? Do you, do you, do you read it on a daily basis? And if you spend five minutes, well, try 10 minutes. This, you know, if, if, you, if you don't at all, I'm not going to say, okay, 30 minutes a day. Be, you know, no, start with milk. You know, start with the basics. Start with five minutes a day. Can you do five minutes a day? You know, you might sit there and say, well, I'm not really sure. Well, okay, well, find an app where you listen to something, a devotional, every day when you're walking to work or when you're driving to work. Find something. Five, you can do that. All of us can do it. And you know how important it is? Why is it? It's releasing God's power in us. I mentioned a moment ago that there were some studies about this. Here's what one of the studies found. They found that Christians who engage the Bible four times a week or more grow consistently more and are stronger in their faith than people who read the Bible less than that. They found that Christians who read the Bible, you know, zero to three times a week generally show far less, not only growth, but their lives are in many ways not that distinguishable from unbelievers. Just some specific numbers here. 
Believers who read the Bible four times or more a week are 231 more times to disciple others. They're 228 times more likely to share their faith. They're 407 times more likely to memorize scripture. And there's thing time after time after time. It changes us. And, and you say, I don't really understand it that well. Well, just start by picking it up and reading it. You know, I don't understand everything. Well, let God's word work in you. Let it seep in you. And you're not going to go from, you know, from, you know, from milk to mature to steak right away. But start with the milk. Take it daily. Have a daily diet. Because if you release God's power within you, it's going to change you. It's going to impact you. And so I want to encourage you, you know, can you just make that simple statement of saying, if it's nothing, I'm going to start with something. I'm going to start with five minutes a day. I'm going to just start, if it's a little bit, I'm going to a little bit more. If I'm a couple times a day, I'm going to try to make it daily. My friends, if we do that together, the power that God will unleash in our life, you know, we want a new year, a new me, I want that. And there's nothing more, that, more powerful that has the, the ability to do that than God's word. But one last thought, even in doing that, if you make that commitment, make that personal goal a team effort. In other words, don't just commit on your own, but find a friend, find someone that's close, several people that are close to you. Say, you know, I'm going to commit to do this. Hey, hold me accountable. Hey, let's text each other every morning. Did you read this? You know, did you spend your time? Did you? We're, you know, the Bible calls us to do that. Because some of these commitments, when we do on our own, you know, the, the, the images, if you say, okay, man, I want a spiritual fire. I mean, you get a log and you put it by itself, you never get much of a spiritual fire. You've got a bunch, several logs stacked together and suddenly the fire grows. Look what it says about this idea in Hebrews. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need to stir each other up. We need to encourage each other. And if we don't, we can have a lot of great desires on our own, and a lot of them aren't going to happen. You know, we're just going to forget about it. We're going to get discouraged. We're going to... But if I've got somebody that I've shared that with, that is going to hold me accountable, and we're kind of doing it together... Suddenly, I realize, okay, I'm releasing another aspect of God's power, the power of his community. Uh, we're going to come back to that next week as well because it's a powerful part of what God's doing. But let me just encourage you as we think this, you know, as we, as we wrap up, you know, or start up a new year, um, you know, we all think about it. We say, man, I want to be different this year. I want to grow. I want to, I want to have a better spirit. I, want, I don't want to be discouraged. I don't want to be worried. I don't want, you know, I want to be healthier. I want healthier relationships. I want... There's a lot of things that we want. There's a lot of goals that we can set. But I do believe, not only from God's word, from the principles that are here, and if there's one simple thing that I can say, the most important area of my life is spiritual, and if there's one thing I can do spiritually that is going to make the biggest difference, it starts with just saying, I'm going to commit to God's word. I'm going to commit to that. I'm going to commit to just spend a few, a few minutes a day. I'm going to, a little bit more than I'm doing now. Why? Because it's unleashing the power. And if I don't know how to do it, I'm just going to continue. The more I do it, the more it unleashes the power that enables me to do it. And the fact of the matter is, if I spend a little time in God's word, it's amazing how that will unleash God's power and start to change you from the inside out. And if you want to go deeper, we've got Sunday night class. We've got ABS. We've got all these other things that will encourage you in that. But the core thing more than anything else is, can we commit to say, I want to be the year that I start to dive into God's word? My friends, if we do that individually, our lives are going to be different. If we do it as a community and we start to share that amongst each other, man, the impact amongst our community is going to be amazing. I don't want to miss out on that blessing. I hope that you don't want to as well as we pursue it together.